Welcome back to the Eat Scripture Podcast with Gina and Eric Robinson. And we are today going to talk about 2 Kings 9, uh, starting with verse 30. Mm-hmm. But we had just seen um, this. It was kind of a big, ugly thing mm-hmm. happened. Jehu's come in and he has um, kind of tricked Jehoram and yeah. um, Ahaziah. Yep. So he's killed both both king, kings king of judah and king of israel, israel. yep um in this one battle yep and it's gonna take... not really even a battle so much as a slaughter i mean he yeah. just showed up yeah. and started put arrows for both of them. Yeah. yeah um and so that's where we're gonna pick up because he's not through yeah um he has been the one though that has been prophesied by elijah mm-hmm. to um actually end the reign of the uh, sons of Ahab, right? Mm-hmm. The Amrid dynasty, yes. Call it. So and he's taking he's doing that it. to heart for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he is doing it, yes. and in big, bloody, ugly form. Yeah, uh, and so we're really just continuing with that now that we've seen the two kings die, one on the throne of Judah, one on the throne of Israel, but both of them being Ahab's descendants. Now we're going to go and watch um, what happens as we get into verse 30 and following, which is still going down the same path. Right. Jehu's still doing, he's, he's not done just because he's got rid of the kings. Now he's got to get, got to get right. rid of the line of Ahab in every way also. So we're going to watch as he does that. And this is all taking place during Elisha's ministry. Right. Um, yes. Who we've seen kind of, um, I like the way Peter Lighthart put it. He said, Elisha's ministry is largely concerned with carving out a zone of milk and honey mm-hmm. within the land flowing with death and blood. Mm-hmm. But the prophet's life is a judgment against the house of Ahab as Yahweh yeah. is going to subdivide Israel. Yeah. And so um, we'll see that as we go forward even more. But yeah. um, Jehu, though, is depicted here as a type yeah. of the coming Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not necessarily. Uh, there are so many different facets mm-hmm. to the Messiah, mm-hmm. uh, to Christ. But yeah. One of them is judgment. And that is where yeah. we're seeing Jehu um, really well, kind of show us a picture of yes. the judgment that's uh, taking place. Mm-hmm. What it means when God comes in and completely judges and puts an end to a bad and idolatrous leadership that has led his people astray, what that looks like. Yes. And so he's a type, like you're saying, obviously not going to make all the right choices, still human type doing it in human ways and will right but with a with proper view we can see through him and go oh but this represents the ultimate cleansing that will take place of evil whenever jesus comes in that revelation 19 kind of way with a sword coming out of his mouth and slaying yes. all of his enemies yes that's yep yeah. so, so so as we go forward you know just keep that in mind yeah Okay, we want to start with verse 30. think so, yeah. Okay. So Just read the rest of that chapter. Great start. Okay. That'll be a good place. Right, we'll do it. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, 
and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, Throw, down, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank. And he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than what than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. Wow. So, the end of Jezebel here. Yes, the end of Jezebel. And we've been waiting for this. She's an evil, evil woman who has led uh, Israel astray and caused them to worship false gods. Um, And so, been a horrible, horrible legacy that she has left on the people of Israel. And we're waiting for her end to come. Now, later on, her name will be taken up, like even in Revelation, where John talks about this Jezebel among one of the churches. Mm -hmm. There's this Jezebel who's a false teacher who's leading them astray and that kind of probably referencing some kind of idol worship or whatever, some leading them astray into false worship, that kind of thing. Who knows? We don't know exactly what he's referencing, but the way she's talked about here is so interesting because in verse 30, it says she had painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And then she starts mm-hmm. talking to Jehu in this very defiant manner. Right Now, she- I don't think that she thinks she's going to live through this, probably. Think I think she, she probably thinks this is her yeah. end, but she's going down with a just a, a defiant, uh, outright, vicious, sinful attitude toward the one she knows has come to take her out. She she's refuses to put it to back in his face. No remorse. No responsibility. Remorse, exactly. Yeah. That's That's exactly what I see. So in verse 30, when we hear about her like this with painted eyes and adorned head, what should we hear? Does that remind us of anything? I think we have to ask that question. Well, it reminds us of these other ladies that we hear about through the Old Testament who represent these whorish women Mm -hmm. who lead people astray. That's Mm -hmm. what she does. Oh, she's a picture of the great whore that leads that oppresses God's people and leads them astray. Revelation chapter 17. She, John's going to pick it up later. It's picked up in Nahum chapter 2 about Nineveh. He talks about Nineveh like this great whore that's mm-hmm. led people mm-hmm. astray. Babylon gets talked about that right. way. Right. Actually, so does Jerusalem itself get yeah. talked I mean, it's, yeah. it's this. Yikes. At certain periods in history, we see the whore that has mm-hmm. come out, that has enticed people, people. to follow her. Right. That's right. Into her. And so we hear to about be her. unfaithful. That's right. We hear about her on that individual level in, in the beginning of Proverbs, where there's this lady folly who dresses like a whore and entices the young men who are choosing mm-hmm. between wisdom and folly, um, right. tries to entice them to come and sleep with her. 
because mm -hmm. she's a whore. That's what she wants right. to do is to lead people astray. So right. all of that is going into this. Jezebel's our picture. She's our, oh, she's the whore. She's led people astray. Right. That's what I she I think does. we tend to see, sometimes we think about evil as being ugly and not attractive and, um, mm -hmm. you know, even, you know, dressed up in red with a pitchfork mm -hmm. sometimes. Right. But that's not the way it is. Right. It really is something that's enticing. Very enticing. And easy to fall into. Mm -hmm. And yes. she's just a picture of that. Absolutely. She's... That's what we're seeing here. Uh -huh. Yes. So to yeah. the very end, she's going down with waving her fist in the air. I don't care what you say. And that's why she talks to him, calling him a Zimri right. uh, in I, I 31. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Where, where's that reference? Well, we had it? a Zimri mm -hmm. earlier who mm -hmm. uh, staged a coup. Yes. Exactly. And so that's she's just saying. And reigned only seven days. Yeah, he didn't first, last long. <laughs> first Kings 16, <laughs> 10 and 15. You can go look at there. But yeah, absolutely right. So she's like throwing dirt at him right here right. at the end still. You're no better than Zimri. Right. You're taking sure the stage in a coup. became kind of a joke. Yeah, absolutely. He would have been a joke. So. A, a seven-day king thought he could reign a country and, and stages a coup and thought he could reign a country and he's taken out in seven days. Right. So so to throw that little thing, that barb at um, Jehu here is, yeah, really making fun of him. Even at the end, even to the end, she's shaking right. her fist at him. You're a nobody. You're a nothing. You'll never yeah. go anywhere. Um, I think it's interesting that she asked, is it peace just like um, Jehoram did? Yes. He came, yeah. You know, is it, are you coming in peace? Mm -hmm. And the answer clearly in this whole <laughs> uh, section is no. Yeah. He is not, this is not the peaceful Messiah that, right. that we often see. This mm -hmm. is a judgment. Mm -hmm. And no, it is not peace. Not even. And uh, I think she knows that. Oh, definitely. I think so too. Yeah. And so whenever uh, he comes now and he calls out up to, you can see her up in the window there and he calls out, is there anybody up there who's with me? And these eunuchs show yeah. their face and he's like, okay, then throw her down. And they pick her up and they throw her down. And then in 33 there, interesting word choice. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and they trampled on her. The word for spattered there is the mm. same word that's used for sprinkled in Leviticus when it's talking about sprinkling the blood on the oh, altar. Wow. And it makes her sound like she's being used as a blood sacrifice, sacrifice. as a guilt sacrifice for Israel. For their sins. Um, yes, for the sins of Israel. Right. God is going to use her. She has taken on the sin, the sin of Israel, like a sacrifice would do. You'd lay your sin on it, mm -hmm. and then it would, it's almost making it sound like she's kind of sacrificial um, in that sense. She carries all the sin of Israel on her. And um, so, so her blood is spattering against the wall, just like you would sprinkle blood against the altar. And immediately after that, in verse 34, Jehu goes in and eats and drinks before cleaning her up, yeah. cleaning the body up, before doing anything, even trying to do anything like that. It's pretty gory if, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you would do after your sacrifice. After you, you would then, even the sin sacrifice would mm -hmm. get shared. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so some would be eaten by the people and some by the people who had made the offering and right. some would be eaten by 
God, I mean, offered up to him, right. to him as a right. food sacrifice. And so, so we were watching him share in a meal as it were. Wow. Uh, and, and this is very, very interesting because um, it makes it sound, again, very sacrificial. That's what we have here is a meal taking place right after the sacrifice. So uh, we have all that imagery, I think, that we need to see as we're walking through here. Jezebel becomes sacrificial. And he calls her a cursed woman. So, like, it's the it's sin. I mm -hmm. mean, she yeah. has cursed this country. Mm -hmm. and Yep. This nation. Yep. Yeah. And then they can't, there's not even enough left to bury. Right. He does say to go bury her because he she's a king's daughter. Her. Exactly. That's what she is. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. He's going to show a little respect just because right. the tiniest bit at the very end, just because she is a king's daughter after all. And then when his servants go out to pick up the pieces, as it were, they find out. There's nothing left, basically nothing left. When they went out to bury her, they found no more than the skull and her feet and palms of her hands. Yes. They came back and told him, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, when they came back and told him, he said, this is the word of the mm -hmm. Lord by which servant Elijah said, in the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. Right. And the corpse be his tongue. So he this doesn't is, seem surprised because he knew. Right. what Elijah had said and maybe he thought I don't know if that's literal or not but now he knows yeah now he knows for sure yeah first Kings 21 23 he's quoting that and um and so uh yeah he knows and he trusts yeah this is what God said would happen sure enough it's happening just like he said not even enough left to bury and so it'll be she's truly been cursed in every way by God is what we're seeing. There's just, there's no going to be no respect given at the end. And this is the fate of the great harlot. This is the fate of the great harlot in scripture. Um, it will be completely annihilated. She will be completely destroyed and annihilated by God. I mean, right. there won't be anything left because she represents sin. That's who she is. She's the enticement uh, that sin leads us away. God's not going to give any room for that uh, to be given credit at the end he'll just right. annihilate she's wipe walked away. out yeah yeah so there's our picture Very beautiful interesting yeah well we're not done yet with the nope. gore so nope. uh, we're hang actually on. not we're <laughs> still right in the middle of it so chapter 10 maybe uh let's go from verse one i think maybe through verse 11 would be a good place okay now ahab had 70 sons in samaria so Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders, and to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying, Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, fortified cities also, and weapons, select the best and fittest of your master's sons, and set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid, and said, Behold, the two kings could not stand before him. How can, then can we stand? So he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders and the guardians, said to Jehu, uh, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants, and we will do what you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever is good in your eyes. Then he wrote to them a second letter, saying, If you are on my side, and if you are ready to obey me, Take the heads of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. 
Now the king's sons, 70 in person, were with the great men of the city who were bringing them up. And as soon as the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel. When the messenger came and told him, they have brought the heads of your king's sons, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until the morning. Then in the morning, when he went out, he stood and said to all the people, you are innocent. It is I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who struck down all these? Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and his close friends and his priests, until he left him left him none remaining. Okay. This uh, <laughs> is, <clears throat> once again... Yeah, a continuation of what Jehu started already. And yes, it gets crazy. It gets to the point of almost seeming absurdity to us because it's like, wow, this is just sounds so horrific. Uh, so far to go to really, okay, make your point. I mean, I it guess. was common um, in that time when a new, especially mm -hmm. a new dynasty, mm -hmm. uh, were to come to the throne yes. that they would kill all mm -hmm. the relatives who could possibly Potential be in line for heirs. the throne and mm -hmm. any of his close associates yeah. so that there wouldn't be a coup. Right. Um, yeah. But this seems a this, lot. Yeah, it certainly seems a lot. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's a, this is a hard thing to figure mm -hmm. out when we come to the, I mean, right. we really got to take some time with this because it is difficult for us, but we're trying not to let our, uh, modern sensibilities okay. take over too much and yet still see it if there is some kind gruesome. of overboard here right. what what is it and where where does it yeah where does it really come into play with jehu's heart who jehu is before god what he needs to do and what he doesn't need to right. do um that's what we're asking those kinds of questions and part of the reason maybe we're asking him, because as we go through he here and we tricky. watch what he's doing here, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're wondering, this is an interesting thing, interesting way that he talks here. He comes, obviously, the leaders in Samaria, they don't think they can stand against him. Right, they're scared uh, of they're, him. They're like, yeah, he dude, he's just killed two kings, and they don't obviously travel alone. They have other people with them, and he, they right. weren't able to stand against him. Uh, and there's no way we can stand against him, so let's just tell him that straight up. Look, you're... As we're concerned, you're the king and we're behind yeah. you. So you, you do what you think is right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, that's all they want. Just peace. <laughs> hey, don't come kill us. Uh, and so Jehu's very clear to them, you know, that then if that's true, <clears throat> if that's true, then um, he says back to them in verse six, if you are on my side and if you are ready to obey me, Take the heads of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. That is a semi-ambiguous statement in Hebrew, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because the heads of the master's sons could be their literal heads, like we're going right. to see play out here. Or it could have meant, take, bring me the leaders among them. Bring me the, the leaders of the master's sons. In other words, the leaders of Ahab's. Among Ahab's sons, there are those who are truly rising yeah. to the top that the people would expect to be. 
the next the king next king or, or whoever yeah. yes those are the ones i want so he almost makes it it could you could hear it mm -hmm. bring me the ones you think are qualified and i will pick one to be the king because you've told uh, me maybe because they've said or is he saying bring me the ones who are qualified and i'm going to kill them yeah i'm only yeah. gonna i mean it could be that which they would also do because okay. they I want to yeah. thought about it that way yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to slaughter, but I'm not going to slaughter them all, but I am going to take those there, you know, among those who would have been considered the most viable choices for the throne. So either way, though, it could very well be read that way. Right. It could be read either way. Correct. So it says the king's sons, 70, were uh, with the great men of the city, bringing them up. And as soon <laughs> as... The letter came to them. They took the king's sons and slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel. Now, he receives their heads, just like he asked for, in a sense. And that's, yeah. that it may have been exactly us. what he meant. Right. But we it doesn't don't tell know. us he was surprised. No, it doesn't say that. But it, it doesn't, doesn't say he wasn't. Right. We don't know what his reaction was, really. So it's interesting that he said, when the messenger came, said they brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until the morning. So big piles of heads. So gross. 70 heads <laughs> laying by the gate. In the morning, he goes out and he stands uh, in front of all the people. And he tells the people of Samaria, you're innocent. You're innocent. Yeah. Don't worry. You weren't the one who ones who caused this. You didn't rebel against your king. Mm -hmm. I know that you're innocent in this. And God knows too. And it was I who conspired against my master. I conspired against Ahab. I was the one who killed him. And then he says, but who struck down all these? Who struck down all the sons? These, all these sons. I killed Why Jeroboam. All these heads but, That's right. Or, uh, uh, Jehoram. Jehoram. But who killed but all, all these? these heads? I didn't kill the, the sons with these heads. Know then, he says in verse 10, that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. Okay. So he's, it, it sounds like he's really not taking responsibility for the fact that all of these sons have been killed. Absolutely that, sounds like that to me. Um, Absolutely. And yet... You can know that God said this would happen. He's like, God said it. So here it is happening. Yeah. And yet he's he's definitely but deflecting from himself. Yeah. Yes, I didn't do it. His point uh -huh. is, I killed Ahab, yes. But no, who, he didn't kill Ahab. Or I'm sorry, Jehoram. I killed Jehoram. I killed Ahab's sons. Absolutely, both of them. Uh, Jehoram and Ahaziah. But these, I didn't do this. It's just that God obviously wanted it done. This right. is God's will. He obviously, he's not going to let a bit of his word fall to the ground. He obviously wanted this slaughter to take place too. Mm -hmm. Even though we just heard him, the words he said to the leaders of Samaria was, bring me the heads among them, your master's yeah. sons. And it's, and they brought him the actual heads. So, so did he intentionally, did, was he intentionally vague, thinking they might take care of this problem for right. me? It's possible. Right. Light, Peter Lightheart is the one who brings this out first, the first place I saw it. And I, there's validity here because you are reading his words thinking, why is he being so coy about what he had done? Yeah. 
Right. You seem to want this to be done. That's why I went back and read it again, and it sounds, then I go, oh, he, maybe he meant that a different way, mm-hmm. but they took it this way. Right. And he or certainly maybe he used set him it. up. Yeah, and yeah. maybe he set him up. That's our other question. Exactly. Maybe he meant it another way. They took it this way, and then he's using it. Or maybe he intentionally set him Is up. Is he a con so man? That, or, yes, yeah. exactly. Way, yeah. <laughs> but... But it really doesn't matter because in the end, what really happens is that what God said through Elijah mm-hmm. has taken place. And yes. the Amr dynasty is it coming is truly, to a true end. Yes. There absolutely. is no more. The interesting thing is when we get to Hosea 1.4, in Hosea 1.4, it does tell us that God is bringing judgment on the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Yes. And that's what this is. I said a while ago accidentally that this was Samaria, I think. But this we're still in Jezreel here. This right. is what's, where this right. how he has a, he's on his way to Samaria, but he hadn't gone there. He's gone there yet. Right. He's he about to set up. Um, but yes, this is Jezreel. This is Jezreel where all this bloody slaughter is taking place is in Jezreel. And so the last verse that you read a while ago, verse 11, struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and his close friends and his priests until he'd left none remaining. Well, all that sounds kind of reasonable in a sense. That's what you would think would need to be done. At the same time, you read verses like Hosea 1.4, and you're like, okay, what is this bloody slaughter that the house of Jehu did in Jezreel that's going to bring God's judgment Mm -hmm. later on? So It's confusing. Yeah, it gets a little confusing. Like we had talked before, I mean, did he take it? Further than God meant for him to. Right. That becomes a question. Because I know, well, we can read this next part and then we can talk about that, I guess. Okay. But he does see, we we are going to see him commended. Right. Which is another weird part when we get over to verse 30. So let's read the rest of the chapter. And well, can we get all the way through there? Maybe not. Uh, I don't think we can get through the chapter. Through 17. Yeah. Let's do that. And try to get through that. Okay. Then he set out and went to Samaria. On the way, when he was at Beth Echid of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and he said, Who are you? And they answered, We are the relatives of Ahaziah, and we came down to visit the royal princes and sons of the queen mother. He said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth Echid, forty-two persons, and he spared none of them. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, 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 coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he wiped them out, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Hmm. This uh, part has a couple of pieces in it that I really can't, um, haven't been able to make full heads or tails of yet, especially Jehonadab, um, his actual, like, yeah. you know, who is he, what does he mean to all of this? Obviously, 
obviously he's somebody of some kind of significance or else he wouldn't be in the story i don't think at all because jehu is asking him are you on my side or not he there's something significant mm-hmm. about him jehu needs to know are you with yeah. me and why do we need, need to even what, know about him yeah. yeah and it doesn't tell us later on we have no idea why we would need to know about him and i haven't been able to put that all together yet so just letting that be out there for now but he does side with jehu he's like yes absolutely i'm on your side good then come up with the chariot in the chariot with me and see what i'm doing mm-hmm. which he does and so he seems to be in full agreement agree, agreement with yeah with how this is going to go um that but, first part though yeah these people these relatives of ahaziah yes yes Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, verse 13. Okay, so relatives of Ahaziah. Mm -hmm. Doesn't actually say that they are, that they are descendants of Ahab. They could be, but doesn't say that. Because he was married to one of Ahab's daughters, so. Well, and he was, and his mother, the queen mother over him was. That's right. Omri's, okay, that's right. Uh, granddaughter. That's right. I may and be so, mixing things up here a little bit. So if I said the wrong thing, I'm sorry. He, no, that's okay. He's the <laughs> daughter of Ahab, granddaughter right. of Omri. She was, uh, she was daughter of Ahab, granddaughter of Omri, yeah. and she's his mother. Case. So he has Ahab's blood in him. But that does not mean, does not have to mean that his these, these relatives are necessarily connected to Ahab. We don't, that's not what it says. It just says Jehu met relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, right. who are you? And they answered, we are relatives of Ahaziah. And we came down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, take them alive. And then they take I them think and slaughter him. All it took was for them to say they were relatives of this king that he had killed. Uh-huh. And he is yeah. like, well, we're wiping them all out. That's right. Any we relatives? We're killing anybody? anyone who has that blood is what he's thinking. However, and they're related. Yet, is it too far? I don't know. I don't know. That's the question. Again, we're asking the question again, and this is just a, it's a contingent that's on their way to visit. Yeah, and they don't even, seem to know anything about. Yeah, what's they may going not on. even know anything that's going on. They may not know Ahaziah's not alive. That's what it. It makes no mention of the fact that there seems to be no recognition in them that that's what's happening. We're just on our way, a delegation to visit with, see our cousin. We're having a family reunion. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> We're just on our way to a family reunion. And so he takes him to Beth Eked, 42 persons, and he spared none of them. Well, we've seen the 42-person thing before one other time right here in Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 24, 42 is the number of young men that Elijah, Elisha calls the she-bears out to, or pronounces a curse on them, and the she-bears come out of the woods and kill them all. 42. Mm-hmm. At ju- obvious judgment of God. Six times seven, not seven times seven, but six times seven. As if to say, it's not completely eradicated. The problem isn't completely done away with yet, but it's significant. It's significant judgment. And so we have that same number here, which is a judgment. So is God doing this eradication through Jehu? Or is Jehu Jehu taking it on himself to act like God? 
when he shouldn't. Right. I mean, that, and I don't know how else to say that. It's an interesting. I just think it's interesting because we've talked about how the kingdoms, how Judah has been dragged into this mm-hmm. um, because of their wanting to get along. Yes. And, you know, whatever, be allies with Israel. Yeah. Even though they know that Israel is not worshiping right. God the right way yep. and is worshiping idols. Mm-hmm. They have married themselves, yes. I'm putting that in quotation marks, mm-hmm. but they have yeah, uh, to, to Israel. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's gotten so mixed up. We talked about mm-hmm. the names and being similar and, and everything. Yep. being so confused. Like I'm confused about, I forget who married who and yeah, how, how they're all lines. intertangled. Yep. They've become so enmeshed that Judah mm-hmm. isn't distinct anymore. Right. Israel has long since not been distinct as God's people. Yep. And now Judah is being part of that. And yep. because of that, there are consequences mm-hmm. for Judah. Correct. And so these family members and mm-hmm. people, anybody who even is associated at all, mm-hmm. are becoming part of the consequences. Yeah of this inner mixing yes. that they really aren't, shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now God's not going to wipe out Judah because he promised David. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's certainly going to, there uh, still be consequences that yeah. come. Yep. Yeah. You know, he's going to let sin go unchecked. <laughs> so now that we see the, and now we get back to the end of this little passage we just read, verse 15 through 17. And we're just watching again as he gets this new ally, seemingly, maybe, mm-hmm. in Jonadab. Uh, and then shows him what he's going to do, which is go to Samaria, which is where he goes in his chariot. And then starts cutting people right and left down in Samaria. It's almost Samaria. like he's just taking him for a... Uh... To show off. Yeah, like, almost. Hold my beer. Like, yeah. Watch this. Uh-huh. You know. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. So he had him ride in his chariot. And when in verse 17, when he came to Samaria. So here we are in the heart of the capital now. We're in the capital mm-hmm. city of Israel. Um, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria. Till he had wiped them out. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah which was way back in first Kings 19. That's what we've talking about, been talking about how that word is finally coming true. It's coming true in Jehu. We're watching it happen. That line has been judged and we had to wait quite a few years right. for it to, to, to see that. Things aren't always immediate. That's right. right. Um, exactly. So God can, God can say something's over and then, you know, he knows how to bring it about in the right way. And to us, it might take a long time. And we're like, why is this taking so long? Um, But certainly he's doing it here is the, is the point in large part. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it open enough to go, okay, in some way, maybe Jehu is out of line here in how far he's going. And that's what we don't know exactly, but it has to do somehow with the bloodshed of Jezreel. Uh, and so here we've gotten into Samaria. We've made it to Samaria and he's um, taking out the rest. Anybody he finds connected to Ahab still in the capital city. So uh, we'll watch. Uh, yeah, next he, time we get to uh, see. Yep. Yeah. yep. 
the closure of the story of Jehu, basically his reign, what it was like, and then how God, you know, it's obvious that God isn't completely pleased, like Jehu does everything right. By the end of his reign, no. we're going to see that God's not been completely pleased. But God pleased. did use him to bring judgment. Um, but certainly has used him. That's right. Certainly has. His name actually means God. I'm sorry. Yahweh himself is what Jehu means. Mm-hmm. Yahweh himself. And so when we think of the Lord himself, when we think about that, you know, we should be thinking about stuff like, okay, he really is a type. Isn't mm-hmm. he? he really is a type. Mm-hmm. When Jesus comes, it truly will be the Lord himself. Yes. Here, Jehu he happens to have judgment. that name for some reason, but he's still just a, he's just a type, just a weak type. But uh, when Christ comes, uh, he'll have, you know, all the authority and he will have all the judgment with him and make it known and it'll be obvious and it'll be done in the exact right way. But we see through, we see in Jehu the type of the one to come. Great to talk to everybody. Really enjoyed going through and still enjoying going through this with you. We'll finish up Jehu next time. Hope you have a great few days, everybody. Thanks for looking into it. Y'all can read ahead, see what's coming, uh, and we will talk to you very soon. God bless everybody.